Hi, this is Riggs Eckleberry, CEO of Origin Clear. Welcome to the podcast, Water is the New Goal. Now in this podcast, I explore every week the trends in water, the big disruption that's happening, what we're doing about it, and where the future lies. It's quite interesting. Enjoy and stay subscribed. Hello, everyone. It's Riggs Eckleberry here, and we are on the 6th of February. Um, and this is a going to be a fun one because uh, my co-panelist here is the wonderful Daniel Early, uh, Daniel Monroe Early, professional engineer, and uh, he is the uh, architect of our modular water systems. Um, he's going to listen to me carry on for a little while, and then we're going to have a little conversation. So here we go. We're going to launch our, our little uh, PowerPoint, which we like to do. And uh, take it from there. And you know, one of these days I'll become really good at this. Okay. All right. All right. So again, this is water is a new gold, and we are. Um, our motto here is helping you thrive in the world's only vital, scarce, and recession-proof market. For those of you who are new to this, um, what this really means is that water obviously is vital. We know it's life or death. And then obviously it's also a uh, increasingly scarce commodity. And finally, people keep using water. So it's very recession-proof. Look at what's happening with oil right now. Um, oil demand is, is dramatically going down because of a, an epidemic in China. That's not going to happen with water. So uh, water really is uh, a form of gold, if you think of it that way. And the fact that it is going through underinvestment for infrastructure opens up the origin clear opportunity. With that, we're going to continue here with... Um, usual safe harbor statement, uh, which is basically says that uh, what I say in, in this briefing, of course, is fully intended, but may not work out as planned. Uh, and we simply have to warn you of that. The other very important thing is I'm going to be talking in this uh, briefing because of demand. I'm going to be talking about the uh, offerings that are in progress that are planned. And for that, there's a disclaimer that requires accredited investors, relies on a specific exemption from registration, and uh, obviously there's always a risk and um, various restrictions, et cetera. So I'll be happy to discuss it. Any of our people will be happy to talk about the fine print because we want you to be fully aware of them at all times. Okay, so what's been going on here? This morning we announced great results from Spain. Um, now, you, you saw, and I'll play a video shortly, so those of you who haven't heard about this, um, but back in October, we went to Spain to witness a system that was very um, strong, and um, we, uh, um, at the time, they were going to get these independent lab results, and they did. Now, um, what, are these, what are these results? 99% um, reduction of chemical oxygen demand. Um, that 
and I put it at the bottom here, um, chemical oxygen demand is basically how all the chemicals in the water, anything that's not water, that can be oxidized, meaning that can be turned into CO2, um, and basically, you know, the oxygen can, can bind with the carbon and neutralize it. So essentially what we've done here is a huge amount of neutralization, uh, virtually all of the um, organic materials, chemicals and so forth are gone. And then reduction of nitrogen by 96%. Now, if you look at what that means is, um, hog farms right now are violating the, the regulation in Spain's World Decree here of the year 2000, and that limited it to 2010 kilos per hectare. Hectare is um, about two and a half acres per hectare. And um, we can reduce nitrogen production to 16 kilos per hectare, which is less than one-tenth. So that's an amazing result. So with that in mind, um, we have a little video we're gonna play for you. Estimados amigos y colegas, es un gran honor para mí hablar con ustedes en este día tan memorable. Hace tres años ustedes nos hicieron una promesa que integrarían nuestra tecnología en su sistema completo para el tratamiento del estercol. About three years ago, Depuport went to research the treatment of hog manure. They came upon our technology and reached out and we negotiated with them a license. Now, three years later, they've built a working commercial system. It's proven and it's working amazingly well. Origin Clear Technologies is a que nosotros hemos necesitado al final de nuestro largo trabajo de 20 años, la participación de Origin Clear. Muy importante para el éxito que estamos teniendo con la puesta en marcha de nuestra planta piloto, la tecnología Origin Clear que ha simplificado, dentro de que es una parte compleja del sistema, eh, nuestra relación ha sido, wow, esto es increíble. El estiércol consigamos separarlo en una fase sólida que podemos llevar a compostaje y consigamos agua clara eh, para poder regar la asociación con el INCLEAR ha sido como marcar el último gol en un partido de fútbol. Yo creo que juntos realizaremos cambios significantes en la industria de la cría de ganado. Podemos cambiar un problema real a una solución que elimina el desperdicio y también la contaminación de las lagunas de estiércol de larga duración. Muchísimas gracias otra vez a ustedes y que tengamos mucho éxito juntos en el futuro. Well, that was uh, extremely cool. And um, <laughs> I'm glad the video corrected me. It was actually November, just before Thanksgiving. Um, but uh, also, you saw in the last frame a uh, picture of uh, Bill Charneski in the group photo, who was very instrumental in making all this happen. He's, um, he's kind of the, the quiet guy, but he gets it done, so it's greatly appreciated. So, um, 
I'm going to go back into the share mode now and discuss a little bit about trends. Um, and I'm going to be leading up to a point here, so if you'll be patient. For those of you who are joining us, uh, about 10 minutes in here, we've been discussing how um, Origin Clear is doing with water treatment, uh, or when in Spain, we just uh, covered that. And of course, we gave some disclaimers, which are very important. And you'll be um, have some contact information at the end to discuss this. So um, there's, I've been talking to you about decentralization and mass transit, and that is actually a big deal. Um, we're going to um, bring up, in fact, the um, bring up the share screen again, and we're going to. Very sure that I'm doing proper sharing. Here we go. All right. So decentralization in mass transit. We have a problem um, in mass transit. I was I was talking about this earlier. And let me just put this on full screen, though it'll be nicer. Um, the you know, um, what is driving the trend towards um, decentralization in mass transit? Well, first of all, all central mass transit projects in America at least have massive runs. Um, you know, just for a subway in Los Angeles, which is not terribly utilized, we have almost $2 billion cost, which is, um, you know, about a, about a quarter billion over. Um, and it makes you wonder about the California bullet train. Well, the California bullet train um, is right now not happening. It's got vast cost overruns, and they're building a small segment somewhere in the Imperial Valley that is going to run from nowhere to nowhere just to prove a point. So um, what's the alternative? And the alternative is very simple. It's um, a self-driving car. So first thing that's happening with self-driving cars is adoption of electric vehicles because they're vastly more efficient, they work really well with fleet cars, et cetera, and they're automatically, um, they tend to be uh, really good software platforms. And so sure enough, I saw this today, um, that uh, France just hit 11% market share in January, growing four times year on year. And meanwhile, diesel and gasoline sales crashed by 25%. So now this isn't even Tesla, this is, uh, Renault and Peugeot um, cars, and um, all of a sudden, one out of ten cars in France being sold are electric, just like that. So, a lot of people have told, you know, have been talking about these adoption things and making these predictions about how we're all going to be electric cars in ten years. And in fact, we won't even own these cars; they'll be just, you know, on a subscription. You just call for it. People this couldn't possibly be. Well. It's happening, and you'll be, you'll be into it too if your cost of five or ten thousand dollars a year for your car or truck went down to hundreds of dollars a year, and much less uh, traffic jams, etc. Uh, because of the reduction of vehicles on the road, we're going to, you know, dramatically increase the amount of um, um, space available. And LA is one third parking lots. Just two San Francisco's worth of parking lots in LA. 
And the big challenge is going to be what to do with this parking lot. They will be empty. <laughs> You'll go to the market. Of course, who goes to the market anymore? But let's say you go to the market, your little autonomous vehicle will take you there, drop you off, take off, won't even stop in the parking lot. And so, you know, um, that's that's a trend that is really, really happening. So I totally understand when people say, Riggs, I don't understand about decentralization of water because I don't see it. And when you think that the decentralization in transportation is happening really fast. And yet at the same time, people are going, well, I, I don't see it. And it's multi-billion dollars. I totally get it. In other words, um, the early stages of anything are not super visible. But I guarantee you that's when you want to start. Think about if you, you know, I was not into Bitcoin 10 years ago. <laughs> it's like, I was not doing, I thought of Bitcoin as a novelty. Well, um, I'd be a, a, different, a different place. I've been serious about that. So think about things when they're ridiculous and not to be even thought of. That's when you need to invest in these things. So think about that. Okay, so I'm going to cover a book that I love. And this book is called Inside the Tornado, um, written by Jeffrey Moore. And this is a classic about the high tech life cycle. Um, meaning that there's a product life cycle. You know, it grows, it plateaus, and it then eventually goes away. But in high tech, it's different. And there's real, really good reasons for it. And high tech products are adopted like a tornado. So, now, it's also true of just technology, right? High tech is great, but now it's starting to happen in energy um, and transportation and so forth. So. Technology is hitting everything, and it's hitting right in uh, water, as I'm going to show you. Now, I'm going to show you a, 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 something called the bowling alley. Now, the bowling alley is the most important thing that I learned uh, during the dot-com about how to get technology adoption. Let me show this to you. So this is a product life cycle, but it's a product life cycle of high-tech and of any technology. Technology accelerates adoption. So you've got to think about technology. So on the very far left, you have, I call this the armadillo. So the nose of the armadillo is uh, what I call the crazy people, the early adopters, the people who they'll buy anything. Wow, yeah, they were the people who were doing keto. What's a keto, right? Um, and they don't do it because they have any particular reason. They just like little things. Then there is a phase of that adoption, which you can see there, in the, uh, which is, um, these are basically the strategic buyers. These are people who see a reason to acquire um, the technology to get a leg up on their competition. So, and they'll go in and they'll create the applications. This is like our partners in India, Permionics, who literally are taking the technology and creating it into mainstream products. And then there's a very important thing called the chasm. You have to cross the chasm. Jeffrey Moore wrote a previous book to Inside the Tornado, which was uh, Crossing the Chasm. The challenge here is how do you go from people using your technology, but they have to do all this integration themselves, et cetera, over into this tornado of adoption. The tornado of adoption is 
spark that was called the bowling alley at the bottom. What is the bowling alley? It's basically each one of those pins that you see there. There are six of them, but there's going to be a lot more, of course, in, in the industry. Are applications of the technology. Uh, for example, um, you know we've seen various applications. Well, the one that we just saw the video on with manure ethylene. That is a key one. So, um, what you do is you you create complete whole products that then creates one pin and then another pin for another product, and you keep creating whole products until finally you have critical mass, and it takes off into what's called a tornado. Now the tornado is really interesting because in the tornado people don't worry about whether something is good or right; they just see everybody else doing it. And they adopt it. At that point, it's a race for market share. This is why Tesla so far has been with anybody else in the Western world, certainly in America, which is that they have gotten so far ahead that they're grabbing market share. And I would argue to say that you know electric cars in the US for sure and elsewhere are in the tornado. Why? Because various electrifications you've got now, semi-trucks, and you've got um, SUVs and this and that and the other thing, and you know just from the beginning of the adoption of the autonomous vehicle. So the tornado is where things spin out of control and people just buy it. I remember in the late 90s, um, actually sorry, the late 80s, I was running a computer uh, company in New York City and I was, we were trying to use different software and we had one software called Ingress, which was very, very good. And then it was Oracle, which didn't work at all. And guess what, Oracle won, why? Because it didn't work in the late 80s, but so many people adopted it that they were like, well, everybody else is getting it. This will work, and sure enough, it did. So Larry Ellison pulled off a tornado with product that didn't necessarily work. Now, on the back side of this, you get the conservatives and the skeptics. In, in technology, you do not market the conservatives and skeptics. Why? Because they'll do it anyway. They're like the little caboose at the end of the train. They will fall. And so the conservatives will buy, you know, they, when you're doing video, you're doing a, like let's say laser jet printers. First, you start with the regular one, but then you have a color one, you have a small one, you have uh, one different colors and so forth. And that's where the, the conservatives come in. Eventually, the skeptics go, Well, I guess I'm just going to have to get this. These are people who are getting laser printers 30 years after they started. So, that is the technology um, adoption process. And we are now moving, I believe, beyond the early market into the bowling alley for water uh, decentralization. Now, um, I'm going to recap what I did last week, a couple of quick slides. And, um, but just again, for those of you who just joined us, we've been uh, discussing the, um, the amazing win in Spain. And we had a video that was fun. Um, and we've also been talking about how um, this energy and transportation topic is taking off, as I've been discussing in the last few webinars. And then finally, we're talking about this inside the tornado concept, which is Jeffrey Moore. So, without further ado, I'm going to go on here to this is from the Lux Research webinar of um, 2016, and they had a very um, early and brilliant view of what's going on in um, water, which is moving from these centralized systems, which is, you can see, 
little triangles of lift stations, and all those uh, lines are sewage lines, and water is being pumped to a central facility along using these, with these lift stations, continuously lifting it up so it gets somewhere. That's the classic view, and you know it's worked for a long time. However, we're moving to a new model, which is because of water scarcity and the need to reuse, that is pushing us into decentralized infrastructure. And the um, lower volumes of wastewater um, equals, as I say, smaller pipes, because you're, you're each, each place is doing its own treatment, therefore, smaller pipes are needed. Furthermore, you reduced what's called hydraulic loading to uh, downstream centralized facilities, which means decentralized facilities, which are becoming overloaded, no longer have that load. They don't have to be built quite so big. And finally, you have, um, because of advanced treatment technologies, which Dan is going to talk to you about, you get localized reuse, which is not something you get in centralized water treatment. Now, what are the barriers? They are, um, number one, scaling down. Again, something Dan is going to talk to you about. Number two, you've got to have industrial um, Internet of Things, IIoT, Industrial Internet of Things, which means appliances at all these locations with sensors and ways to drive them. Because you can't have a, a water engineer at each location, at most you'll have a janitor. Uh, system reliability, you got to make sure that if you're doing your water treatment, you know, at your car dealership like what we just did, we don't want it to stink. You're trying to sell a car. And then finally, there's some uh, regulation update needed, but that is happening naturally because strangely enough, water treatment facilities are um, increasingly delegating to all these various um, factories, uh, agriculture, commercial buildings, which brings us, of course, to what we consider as the answer, which is the packet modular systems. And uh, so I'm going to come off this, uh, this share and we're going to have a little conversation with Dan. So there we go. So Dan, um, and I, I realize I'm going to take you on the fly here, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you're seeing as a witness to what's going on, um, you know, reviewing these various things that are potentially issues with, um, um, these, you know, first of all, that we have a need for advanced treatment systems, scaling things down, remote monitoring. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're finding in the field with actual situations. Well, well thank you, Riggs, and it's good to be with you this evening. Uh, to share uh, some of my insights, some of my background, uh, if you dial the clock back about 25 years, uh, when I entered into the uh, into the engineering profession, uh, working as a consultant, I spent a great deal of my time working with municipalities uh, that uh, had committed themselves to the to the long-term model of regional uh, centralized utility uh, implementation and utilization. What I witnessed as a young engineer straight out of college was I was working on projects in the mid nineties where we were re rehabbing and rehabilitating uh, uh, dilapidated collection systems, wastewater collection systems, dilapidated water distribution systems, uh, systems that had been in for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, some of them a little bit longer than that. Most of them had been way beyond their life cycle. 
Uh, so as I worked through the 90s and into the early 2000s with my own consulting firm, uh, I saw a, an increasing demand uh, for this decentralized uh, need, uh, both on the water consumption end, on the clean water side of things, and on the, the dirty water on the back end of things. And so in the early 2000s, I was approached by a consultant uh, or some clients of mine as, as I worked as a consultant. They were like, Dan, what can we do? We need help here. We don't have public sewer. We can't invest in, we can't connect to the regional sewers too far away and that type of thing. So what happens is, is that the need for decentralization has crossed uh, what I call the Rubicon point. It, it has reached a point where if we don't push forward with decentralization for our utilities, we can't go back. We have to go forward. That, that's the, that is the task that's ahead of us. Uh, the things that I began to see and things that I began to experience in the, in the mid 2000s, I, I was able to participate in some projects where we uh, went off grid. Uh, I did some of my very first solar powered uh, on-site water, uh, water treatment and wastewater treatment and disposal systems uh, for some customers that were very forward thinking. I mean, two decades ahead of the curve. Um, some clients, much larger clients that were much more well healed. Um, a good case in point might be uh, the Primland Resort in Virginia. It's a, uh, a golf club community, um, got some mixed use um, commercial, uh, multifamily residential and that type of thing. Very exclusive resort. They committed themselves to a decentralized reuse model. And this was 15 years ago. Uh, so the trend has always been there. The thing that is now happening, and this is the thing I'd like to share with the listeners uh, that are with us this evening, the thing that has happened in the last 10 years and the thing that's happened even more in the last five years is that technology has reached to a point and has evolved to a point where it is much, much more cost effective and much more uh, readily available to implement Cost, of for, uh, cost effective and affordable decentralized water treatment and wastewater treatment reuse and reclamation. Uh, the technologies like uh, Riggs was talking about in the decentralized graphic he had on the screen a few minutes ago about the, the items, uh, uh, technologies where you do treatment, where you have the, the ability to do remote monitoring and you can remotely control uh, the efficiency and the efficacy of these technologies. That has become incredibly inexpensive now. Uh, your cell phone gives you the ability to control these advanced treatment devices. Uh, that didn't exist five years ago. Uh, there is a demand in the marketplace. So technology has evolved. The demand has been there. The cost of regional, uh, regionalization has gotten exorbitantly expensive. I mean, it's out of control. And so now what we see is that there are locations like uh, communities there in central Florida, uh, on the coast of Florida, uh, there are counties in Long Island and New York where there are moratoriums in place now where they want to implement decentralized wastewater treatment. They cannot afford to extend big regional sewer lines to connect hundreds of thousands of individual customers who do not have access to public water or public sewer. What is going to happen is just like Rick said in, that, um, in, his, in his graphical reference there, there is going to come a point where the demand and the technology merge and you have this massive adoption of these technologies and it will happen. It is with, we are there today. Uh, we are at the cusp at the doorstep of that, uh, that taking place. I think the places you will see it will be Florida, New York, uh, water scarcity uh, regions that, that suffer and experience water scarcity out in the Southwest California and places like that. 
those are going to be the places where it takes off first. Uh, so that's, that is what I am seeing out there uh, in the marketplace. Well, and, and I appreciate you looking at the overall 30,000 foot. This is unique to, to get that kind of view. And it blows me away that it started 20 years ago and that Virginia resort did it 15 years ago. But that was, those were those people at the very nose of the armadillo where, you know, well, of course, they didn't adopt it because they were foolish, but they adopted it because there was some kind of strategic gain they could get out of it. And then, um, now, of course, now it's happening widely. If you wouldn't mind telling me about a couple of specific instances, sharing them, uh, of actual these applications that we think are putting us into the bowling alley of the tornado. I'll be glad to, Riggs. <clears throat> so the first, the first example that I will discuss uh, is a project that we most recently uh, were able to execute uh, with the Origin Clear and the Progressive Water Team. Uh, we had a project in Pennsylvania so we're working with a dealership, an automotive dealership. Uh, they had uh, a piece of real estate that needed to be developed. Uh, it was beyond the, the normal reaches of public sewer. Uh, we were approached, uh, we being Origin Clear and Progressive Water, we were approached by a, a local consulting group. They asked us, said, you guys appear to understand how decentralized works and how to apply it in a, in a small scale fashion. What can we do? What options exist? What can we, uh, what technologies can we deploy that would work with the, the state regulatory code uh, and provide us a solution. So very quickly, once we understood uh, the capacity needs for this automotive dealership, we were very able to recommend a small scale decentralized wastewater treatment unit that would collect all of the black water from the toilets, urinals, and hand sinks, uh, which constituted probably about 90% of the wastewater generation at this dealership. So we provided a treatment system where we collected treated to an advanced level of treatment using a membrane, membrane bioreactor technology. And then we were able to store and recycle that water back into uh, the, and re, for, reuse it for reflush and reclamation in the toilets and urinals. So it was a closed loop system. Um, it was a, a 1,500 gallon per day system, which uh, for those listeners that may be on with us tonight, that might be a, the equivalent to three or four medium sized homes. To, give you some sense of the, uh, the size, the hydraulic size of it. Uh, very, very affordable, very effective. It was far cheaper to do that than it was to extend five miles of sewer line to get to the nearest public sewer connection. So that's one good example. Uh, another example is just within the last two weeks, we had a customer down in the deep south um, in Alabama. They came and approached us and said, hey, uh, we have this old wastewater lagoon. We, we've got a residential development. Uh, our only form of treatment is this lagoon system. It had been in place and had been treating for 40 years. Um, it was out of compliance. Um, it was an old technology. The lagoons have been around for 50, 60 years. Their time has come and gone uh, as regulatory limits and regulatory uh, changes have uh, created conditions where these lagoons don't work is now time to upgrade, connect, change your technology or what have you. So this customer was in that situation. Uh, so they came to us and said, hey, we are under the regulatory thumb. We need a solution or we are going to be fined excessively or possibly incarcerated. And so what, um, what we did is we evaluated their technology and uh, their system and what we have been able to deploy or what we're going to recommend and what we're getting ready to deploy for them is a modular advanced fixed film bioreactor system where we are able to use the lagoon as an asset. 
We don't have to close it. We don't have to decommission it. We get to use it for what it was intended to, and that was for storage and pretreatment and partial treatment. But we're using, we are going to deploy an advanced biofilm reactor system that basically delivers in the back of a pickup truck. Uh, we offload it and we float it in the lagoon. It's got one moving part on it. And we leverage a very powerful biofilm uh, technology uh, that grows in this porous ceramic media that is a part of this uh, treatment system. And so that technology, uh, that system is nominally rated for 30,000 gallons per day. Uh, low energy, low cost, sustainable, durable. Uh, so that is another example of, a, of the ability to go decentralized and to take advantage of an existing asset that's already in place and not, uh, or and to remove a burden that would be forced upon that utility owner. Um, one thing I would add as I close out this example, that customer, that utility customer, attempted to connect to the public sewer in the adjoining town. They all had, all had to do was pipe it about 500 feet. The local town did not have the sewer capacity and they could not accept this customer. So they had to stay with the decentralized model because it would take them years to upgrade the public facilities to have the capacity to treat this, uh, this, one, this one utility customer. So that's a good example there. I love what you're saying there because you know these these uh, municipalities are essentially forcing people to do self-treatment, um, and it's a terrible thing. But at the same time, it creates an asset. Now that call it utility, just call it what it is—a trailer park. The trailer park is now its own little micro utility. It's its own little um, you know. Uh, it's got just like the car dealership in Virginia or in Pennsylvania. We're talking about that they have now created more value for their location. And what's great is that you've created these little elegant solutions that are odorless, that in fact, in the case of the trailer park, dramatically reduce order and take care of themselves. They run pretty much unattended with some remote management if necessary. And uh, I must commend you for, for doing this because you really are um, kind of the, the uh, Johnny Appleseed of the decentralized water revolution. So. I thank you very much, Andy. You're very welcome, Riggs. So we're going to continue. I, I have a pact with my listeners that I don't go beyond about um, 40 minutes. Otherwise, um, you know, of course, people are going to start, um, you know, uh, being concerned about their town, especially on the East Coast. But um, I have, um, in fact, a question from Keith Roten. Um, do we have sufficient personnel to handle the influx of orders once our positive solution goes viral. And I can tell you this, as the personnel. Um, in fact, what we what we discovered here is that we have to pack the pipeline with orders because even with decentralization, there's these lengthy, uh, you know, the consultants get involved and, and this and that and the other thing. And so uh, one of our really, really good people that have joined us, and you know that then is uh, Michael May, he came out of VP sales and he proved to us that you do not need to have a water expert to sell a, water, a commercial water system because he developed quite a backlog of uh, forecasted business. Um, he's now helping me with the offering, but um, you know, he's a perfect example and he will be able to build a sales room that will scale up. And so the key, uh, Keith and, and to the listeners, is going beyond um, just uh, you've got to have water veterans to basically having anybody who's trainable 
on the sales process, and it's a business-to-business -business sales process, but there's many, many people who know how to do that. And when we have a real estate recession soon, not just joking, but when we have any kind of industry going into recession, those people are then going to want to move over, and we can take them into water. So that, that I think, answers that question. I'm going to quickly go back to the PowerPoint because I'm going to cover the very important thing to certain people is what about our funding rounds and uh, what's going on with that. So um, without further ado, I am going to um, share that. And, uh, and I'm even going to share the correct screen this time. So um, I'll share. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, there'll be advanced training for, uh, for us, uh, you know, executives. And uh, let's see if this one works. See, I keep doing the wrong one. So um, I will do this one. How about that? Here we go. Perfect. So thank you, Dan. And uh, just stay, stay in, the, in the panel. I appreciate it. And we're going to continue here. All right. So Keith, in fact, sent me the same Keith who just gave me a question, sent me a note this morning. And I think it's a very good one. Because, and by the way, yes, Keith, you can always address me by your first name. But um, he's saying basically, look, um, obviously, mergers and acquisitions are a big deal. Um, and what people need to know is that it, it takes um, the patience. Um, and that is um, basically the M&A process um, consists of, first of all, getting a target that you like, getting and like you, which actually is relatively easy given that um, we're pretty dynamic and people like that, that we're not just going to get rid of them when we acquire them. Um, but then you need to go in and uh, put the deal together. Now, we believe that we have the ability to do this funding in-house. Why? Because we worked out a way to do it with not millions and millions of dollars, but with a lot less. And meanwhile, our ability to do funding has risen tremendously. So the next step is you then get the funding together. And the third one is you go ahead and make the acquisition. Now, what's very important also is how do you then replicate that process so each time it becomes faster and faster? And that's when it becomes exciting and, and why? Because, you know, we're, we're doing it every couple of years, but now we need to do several a year. And that's um, our intention to move forward. So thank you, Keith. That is very much what we're working on. Okay, let's talk about the offerings. Uh, we've been going on very successfully with an offering for credit investors only. And, uh, or if you're a, pro, uh, a qualified foreign investor, uh, either way, you can invest in this. It's a, um, tech, it's not a $1,000 minimum, but we can, we'll break that down. And what it is, is you invest, let's say $100,000. Um, you, you, you are then getting that back in two years. That $100,000 comes back to you. And along the way, you get 8% dividend pay. So, so you've got $16,000 coming back to you over the period and $100,000 back. And in addition, you get $100,000 worth of stock granted to you, which is pretty amazing, huh? And then when that stock rent is, it's preferred shares. So when you go to convert them to common, we also make sure that you don't lose money on the conversion. So. It's amazing. Now, the one downside of this is it's only accredited investors. So, what do accredited investors get? Well, that's the coming um, uh, 
Regulation A, which I must caution you is not being offered in this in this uh, briefing. Uh, and that is, um, let's say you make you know fifty thousand dollars a year, you can invest five thousand dollars. And um, these preferred shares are priced at twenty five dollars. Now you go, well, wait, wait a minute, Rick, you were saying around ten cents. Well, these are preferred shares. They have just a nominal value of twenty five dollars. Um, and what they generate is a 10% annual dividend paid every month. And the difference between what you see on the left is we redeem it when we want to. So theoretically, we could take your investment, which is a minimum of $500, and we could just hold on to it forever and keep paying you 10%. Wouldn't be very smart because after, after 10 years, less than 10 years because of um, you know, time value of money, we will, we've we've already used up that money. So it's something we would want to redeem, but that's at our company option. There's some other, um, you know, uh, bells and whistles, which we'll discuss at the right time. But remember that this is going through the Securities Exchange Commission approval, um, which companies take, you know, between 60 and 90 days that we have no, we have no uh, um, control over the process. But we will tell you all about it. Now, that offering, is you can tell is not as great as the one on the left. And so I would strongly counsel if you're an accredited investor to look at this current offering because it's going to be you know something you want to look at. So um, with that I've you know I've uh, you know it's been going on for 42 minutes so that's longer than usual but I think it's been very useful. We're going to um, now talk about the contact um, information. Uh, Ken Berenger, um, at extension 201. Ken is the master uh, designer of our offerings, and he's got an amazing business sense. Michael Mann, who's our VP of sales, who's helping um, Dan Early sell systems, is currently also helping with some of the offerings. And finally, Dylan Angus, who's been around forever and uh, is a direct way to contact with me. Or just send an email to investorigenclear.com. So that's it for today. I want to thank you for for being on board and uh, for you know um, being a patient listener as we um, uh, wind up in another briefing. Um, I actually put a whiteboard behind me and I will use it. I even have a nifty graphic background that uh, um, I will also use, and we'll get all that together. We'll get getting prettier. But I hope you like the content here, and um, this will be posted on the website. You will read it, listen, it, et cetera. Dan, again, I want to thank you for um, having spent time with us, and um, I hope to see you again very soon uh, uh, on this channel. And with that, I'm going to end the meeting. Thank you so much, all. Have a good weekend. Hi, this is Riggs Eckleberry. I'm the CEO of Origin Clear, and I've got a briefing called What is the New Gold? I'd love you to join me. This is about disruption in the water industry and how it's affecting you and potentially give you an investment opportunity. These trends start long before they're visible. Think about Tesla 10 years ago at $30, and now it's over $700. So I think this is really, really worth looking at. It's 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern every Thursday. Do join me.